Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. While you're taking that one out, I'm going to read to you once again the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 6, which gave counsel to spirit-filled children. This is what was supposed to happen to believing children, the spirit-filled children. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Uh, By the way, am I supposed to be dismissing for children's church? Yes, please. You're dismissed for children's church. All right. There you go. You're free to go. Thank you. God bless you. All right. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And this is for the rest of you children who are present with us here, whether you are 80 or below. All right. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Excellent statement. He lets us know here that this act of honoring your father and mother is the first commandment with promise. And the promise is this, that it may be well with you and that you may live long upon the earth. Now, I want you to notice this. That doesn't say that if you honor your father and mother, you'll have everlasting life. That's not what it's saying. It is saying simply, if you honor your father and mother, the life that you live here is a blessed life. If you do not honor your father and mother, it can be said, well, that this is not a blessed life for you. It will not be well with you, and you will not live long on the earth. That's what the promise is, and that's what he's wanting us to know the promise is all about. It isn't about everlasting life. It's about life here on this planet at this time in this present age. All right. Now, having said those things, I'd like to just go back for a moment. I, I like to review all the way back to creation because I think everything starts at creation. Would you agree with me on that? Everything we can know about life, everything we can know about who we are now starts with why God did what he did and what God did. If I miss that, then I, I just keep on redefining things as life goes along. God told us what he wanted in the very beginning, and he told us what he was doing in the very beginning. So it's as old as day six. So I'd like you to look back to Genesis chapter one with me. Let's go back to day six, and let's just see what he said about creation, okay? I had a wonderful weekend with uh, the Trail Life boys and the Trail Life leaders. Uh, We just got back. uh, I got back last night. Some of them got back this morning, I see. Uh, So praise the Lord for that. We had a great time outdoors. I tell you what's thrilling to me is to see young men who want to know what their world's about. They want to see how they're supposed to be able to live in this world. And skills that maybe were being lost are being found again. And I was so appreciative of men who wanted to go out there and teach their sons, teach those young men about the Lord Jesus Christ, to teach them about how to make a living, how to, how to be able to take care of yourself and to take care of your family. They're, they're seeking to build men from the boys. And I'm grateful for Trail Life. I'm grateful for what's going on with that. And I hope you will be as well. I'm grateful for American Heritage Girls doing the same thing on the girls' side of this. God is blessing, and we really appreciate it so very much. Okay, looking here at Genesis chapter 1, we'll skip down to verses 26 and, and uh, to 28. Here's what it said. 
Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. How many people are included in that? No. There's no people at all. Look what it says. It says here, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over what? The fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. It was our, the Lord's desire that we work together as a team. A team. We'll, we'll talk more about that in just a moment. He goes on to say, verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he them, male and female he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Genesis 2, please. Genesis chapter 2. We pick up here at verse uh, 18, Genesis 2. Now, at this point, there's only a man. And here's what God says. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, was that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. Why was he doing that? What was he supposed to do? What did God give him to do? Have dominion over those. You follow that? So now he's naming all of those. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Now, again, this is a man. And if you're going to reveal truth to a man, you really need to show it to him. Would you agree with that? Just talking to him may not be the thing. So God doesn't say, hey, Adam, sit down a minute, man, so I've got something to tell you. You need somebody that's comparable to you. Because he'd say, no, I don't think so. He can't speak only to Adam and get him to see, so what does he do? Brings every animal out there. I shall call you rhinoceros. I shall call you Mrs. Rhinoceros. I shall call you elephant. I shall call you Elephantess. No, I'll call you Mrs. Elephant. And on and on, because each of the creatures he brought had something comparable to them. Now, that's all the creatures. So how long does it take for a man to learn? All right. So he brings all the creatures, and at that point, what does the man say? There's not somebody comparable to me. Elephant's got somebody. Rhinoceros got somebody. Hedgehog's got somebody. Everybody's got somebody. I don't have somebody. Do you think now he'd be ready to have somebody? Yes. All right. You got that for free. All right. He goes on then to say, there wasn't a helper found for him, verse 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. He brought her to the man, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh." 
and they were both naked, and the man and his wife were not ashamed. So let's just back up and get this, get this picture. When God's creating husband and wife, he's creating them as complementary. So your first blank there is complementary. That means they were made one for another. Whatever was uh, needed in his part, she fulfilled. Whatever was needed in her part, he fulfilled. So they were made as complementarian. That is the position that I hold. That's the position I think the church holds. And I believe that I can say that's the position I believe the Bible holds, that it was a complementary relationship, that they were made one for another. And I think that's true because the Scriptures go on to say they're going to work as a teamwork. It's not his job to do particular It's their job to do something. He's creating them together. And that glorifies God. Why does that glorify God? Because that's the way the Trinity is. The Trinity is Father, Son, and Spirit that work together as a team. The Father speaks, the Son creates it, and the Spirit gives it life. The Father sends the Son, the Son dies for the church, and the church is given life by the Spirit of God. It's complementary. They work together in a teamwork way, and when he made us, he made us to glorify God by working in the same teamwork manner. So that husband and wife are to be a teamwork together. They can't do the same tasks. Each of them is giving a certain task to be done, and that's how they work together as a team. They are an echad. Can you say that word with me? Echad. Now, that, that, that one you have to say it from back in your throat. Echad. Echad. Because it's a Hebrew word that means one. It's a unity. And that unity is what God says of himself. He is a triunity. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but he says in the Scriptures, the Lord your God is one. So the Father, Son, and the Spirit are considered together as one. They are an akkad. And Adam said in verse 24 of chapter 2, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become echad. They become one flesh. God sees us as one. So echad is a unity in the complementary diversity. They are not the same, though they are the same. Does that make good sense to you? It sounds like I've been camping, doesn't it? They are not the same, but they are the same. They are human. He says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. They are both human, but they are different one from another. They have different things they're going to be doing. They have different tasks to undertake. They are interdependent. Yes, you, you could say they're independent. They each one have a life of their own. She isn't plugged into him with an energy uh, connector, not a USB cable or anything like that. She's got life in herself. He's got life in himself. But they're interdependent with each other. I hope we can somehow guess, grasp that whole concept of things being interdependent. We are interdependent with the things in this world. We're not independent of them. They're, we're interdependent. You, you're going to need the things of this earth. You're going to need water. You're going to need light. You're going to need the vegetation. You're going to need those things. And there's an interdependent relationship going on there. And God made us to be interdependent in the same way the Trinity is interdependent. The, the, the Father is not going to come and die on a cross for people. The Son is going to die on the cross for people. You follow me? Each of them are, they're interdependent. They're dependent upon each other in an inter, interdependent way. He made male and female resilient so that they could overcome problems. They could overcome obstacles. They could overcome challenges. 
yet they're terminal. There is a challenge, ultimately, you're not going to overcome. You are terminal. You are going to die. One of these days, you will leave this, this earth. Your spirit will leave the body that you're in. That's going to happen to every single one of us here. Even if we go th- in the rapture, we won't be going the same way we are right now. All right? But he made us also to be fruitful because God is fruitful. Uh, when, when I think about what God has done, you ever um, burned a piece of property, whether intentionally or unintentionally? You ever burned a piece of property? You ever watched that within two to three weeks' time, it's just populated with little green things? God commanded the earth to bring forth vegetation. And it does, kids. He's fruitful. He wants it to bear fruit. And he gives it that authority and power. God is causing everything. It says about his, his Holy Spirit goes out over the world and renews the face of the world. God's made us to be fruitful. And he made husband and wife to be fruitful together. But he also has given us creativity. We can be creative about things. I, I, I like to study peoples and, and, and where they come from and cultures and so forth. I, I don't think I'm ever going to grasp fully how the people that live in the Arctic Circle live there. I, I, for one, I don't think I can figure out why when you got there, you stayed. Why, why would you do that? I mean, I, I don't like winters here in particular. And the older you get, it seems like that the winters seem to come cold into the bone, not just on the surface anymore. It seems like it's cold into the bone. Why would you live in sub-zero weather all the time? And yet, there's a certain resilience, a certain creativity that goes on there that creates a way to make a house out of that madness. To take on, I was reading uh, uh, just recently here about a, um, a particular kind of whale. I don't, I don't remember the name of it that's, that's in that Arctic Circle. And some whalers took it, and as they were dicing it up and all that, they found lodged in it a spearhead about the size of your palm. And that spearhead that had been lodged in there was about 150 years old. Now, here's the deal. You're going to get in a skin boat that is... um, it's very carefully balanced, I'll say it that way. And you're going to take a spear and chuck it into a huge, huge animal. And you're praying you're going to take that animal back out of that water onto the shore and you're going to butcher the rascal. Folks, that is some creativity and some resourcefulness and some fruitfulness that's just not this kid. How do they do that? Can I tell you, it was a husband and wife together. It was a team. They did it as a team. They knew the responsibilities they both had. And you can see that repeated all over the world. I, I, shouldn't, I don't want to go any further with that necessarily. But you are the image of God, but you're not God. Just because you're the image of God doesn't make you God. He has made you in his image. Therefore, he said, have no other gods before me. No other gods. 
Make nothing else God or the same as God, not even yourself or one another. That is a blasphemy. When we make ourselves into God, believing that we're our own last resource, we're blaspheming God. We are not our own last resource. God is our own last resource. That is the one we have to count on. So he said, you're made in my image, but you are not me. All right, so let's go on the second one. Therefore, make no image of any kind. You are the image of God, and do not bow before them. Appreciate all the creation, but not worship any other God. Is that fair enough, everybody? Trust me, stay with me. There's a place we're going at the end of this thing, all right? He told us not to make gods and not to have gods. We're not to make any image because we are the image. Do you follow me? So just look around you a moment. That's the image of God that you're looking at. This is what he told us. You say, no, no, he wasn't talking about the physical appearance. Let me ask you, when God is creating, here's our timeline. Back here, God's going to create things. And I know he's going to restore all those things out there. Now, if I can, can we just drop back a few years back here? What is he looking at when he says, I'm going to create man? What's, what's the model he's going to use there? Himself, isn't it? Why? It's his image. And the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come in that same image here, right? Is he going to look like an alien? No. What's he going to look like? A human because he's one of us. He is fully human, fully God. So this image of him, Jesus, is the express image of God. God's a spirit. You can't see him, but when God wanted us to see something, he gave us Jesus. When God wanted the, the earth to see something, when he wanted all the peoples of the earth, when he wanted all the animals to see something, he made you. You are the image of God, but that doesn't make you God. Let me go on to letter D. We are to glorify God, but we're to honor our father and mother. I hope you're beginning to see where I'm taking this. You don't glorify mom and dad. You honor mom and dad. You glorify God by honoring mom and dad because mom and dad are in the image of God, and they gave birth to you, that is the image of God, and you are to worship the one true God, by honoring your parents. That's one of the ways you're going to do that. So it is right for us to honor our mothers on this day. It's a good and right thing to do to be honoring our parents. So how do we do that? Well, number one, respect. Respect. I understand that not every parent was a great parent. I understand that not every child was a great child either. I understand that because God is the one that gave it. If, if you can't do anything else, then respect this. Your mom carried you. Your, your mom was giving nourishment to you when you weren't any, any bigger than a period on a page. There were things going on inside of you that she's nourishing. She's bringing that on. And believe me, that's going to put a relationship with her and you that is not like anything dad can do. It's not even close to what dad can do. That's why so often it's said that, you know, if a, a child that does foolishly, uh, dad's upset by it, but mom finds it a shame. It's a grief to her. It really hurts her even more 
than it does dad, okay? So just honoring the whole way in which God does things, the whole Psalm 139 where he's knitting you in the womb of your mother and he's giving you your days and he's giving all those things and he's using your mother's body to bring you into this world, at least respect for that. If you can't respect anything else, then respect the fact that there's somebody that brought you into this world and gave you life. Number two, he says to obey them. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. It's to do what they try to tell you to do. That's why I appreciate every Christian mom and dad who pay attention to the Word of God, who want to teach their children what the Word of God says. That makes it even more uh, uh, pleasurable to be obedient. Sometimes it's not pleasurably obedient. Anybody ever remember that? Sometimes when they ask you to do something that you really had your own agenda on, you didn't necessarily want to do it, to obey them. Number three is to submit to them, is to follow what they have to say and submit to them, submit to their teaching. And I can appreciate many of you kids. I've watched you as you have submitted to your parents. Um, I don't know if our faith is your faith yet. I appreciate the fact that you've submitted to your parents and you're still coming to church. I appreciate that. I know it's our desire and hope that this faith of ours, which we have had a personal relationship with the living God, is somehow transferred to you. And that by God's Spirit, you too are making that your faith. It's not just something that mom and dad are, quote, forcing you to do. They're putting an environment around you so that you can know the one true living God. Submit to those parents. Speak well of, but do not lie or flatter them. Speak well of them, but don't lie or flatter to them. Flattery is you saying something good in order to receive something back from it. That's not what you do with your parents. Speak well of your parents, but don't lie about it and don't flatter them. Listen without argument. Listen to what they have to say without argument. That's the way you honor your mother and your father. You're listening to them without argument. Now, you may say, I don't understand. If you don't understand, then appeal to them to explain it to you. But may I say, you'll find your appeal goes much further if you go ahead and do what they said to do first and then make your appeal rather than make your appeal before you do what they have to say. If you didn't understand the instructions, that's not the same as being disobedient. Ask them. I, I remember one time I gave one of my sons the task of burning the trash. That was back when you, we could burn the trash. And I sent him out, and I watched him stand at the top of the trash barrel and just unload all my matches into the trash. And I'm thinking, what is he thinking? What's he doing? Now he looks and he's got an empty container of matches there. He comes back in and said, hey, Dad, yeah, I'm out of matches. Why, why were you just lighting them and throwing them in there? You know what the problem was? I never told him how to start a fire. I made an assumption. Anybody ever done anything like that? I made an assumption. So he's... Listening to my assumption, Dad must trust me, so, I'm, so he's just lighting the matches to throw them in there. I didn't say, reach down inside there, find some place that will catch fire, and, and I didn't tell him. You know, if we don't share with them what they're supposed to do, it's hard to hold them responsible for doing it. 
So if I can say, parents, to have that respect that you want to have, to have, to pay, have that respect that they're supposed to give you, tell them the truth. Show them what to do. Show them how to do it. All right, let me go further. Number six, appreciate what they've learned and experienced. Ask them to tell you about it. I, I appreciate when um, my dad, <laughs> I love that guy. He was such, such a rich guy, and mom loved him dearly. They, they were just a wonderful couple together. But I used to just look forward when dad, when we were all from Arkansas, and we found a bunch of people living in Independence, Missouri, who were also from Arkansas. Now, I don't know what that means to you, but let me tell you, there is an Arkansas culture, okay? And so dad would go over there, and I loved and appreciated when he would tell the stories of what his childhood was like or what it was like when he was a young adult. Now, you may think that's, that's really not that important. That's not stories you ought to... I laughed sometimes. I, I, matter of fact, there were times I didn't want to go play with the other kids. I wanted to hear what the old men were going to say because their stories were so good. They were so funny, and I appreciated so much. Later, as we got older, I could look back on those things and, and just say, honestly, Dad, I appreciate what you did there. Then I found out that my mother had gone, to, when, when she was in junior high, had gone to the college that I went to. I went to college at the Ozarks and graduated from there. It wasn't always a college. It was a boarding school for poor children in the Ozarks. And we, it was during the World War II era, and my grandparents couldn't afford all the children at the house, so they put mom in college at the Ozarks. Well, I didn't know any of that. Mom tried to explain some of that, but she, she really didn't want to talk about it because that was not a good experience for her. Uh, I, I always said to myself, after I had a little experience in, in Christian schools, that I would never, never engage myself in conversations with junior high girls. There's an insanity that takes place when they start about 11 or 12 years old, and it runs through a period of time that I'm, I'm still uncertain of. I don't know exactly where it is. But I, I remember thinking, I'm a peacemaker, so what can I do? I will go and I'll be a peacemaker. And I'll, uh, these girls would say, I'm mad at this one, I'm mad at this one. And boy, that'd just, just be, I mean, there was lightning that go between them. See, so I call them in the office and I was going to correct this problem. Whew. Man, I can make some mistakes. So I, I tried to correct the problem and the one who was the most angry about it said, well, it wasn't really her fault. Why are you blaming her? Whoa, whoa what? What did, what did you say? And the other one said, why are you picking on my friend? You're not friends. You hate each other. Remember, but just 10 minutes ago, you said we hate each other. We don't hate each other. We're best of friends. That's why. I leave that totally to women to take care of because I'm sure that somehow women understand all that. I don't understand that dynamic, so I don't do it, okay? But I learned to appreciate what my parents said. And I know the older... Matter of fact, we started trying to make tapes, cassette tapes. We would say, could you just tell me stories you had from when you were a kid? That was so much fun. And honestly, to, to hit play... And to hear their voices again, 
my brother sent me one that I'd never heard before uh, of something that mom and dad had done. And honestly, it was so refreshing to hear mom and dad's voices again. If you still got your mom and dad, can I tell you, you're a blessed person, man. Go for it. Have a great time with them. Ask them questions. Appreciate what they have to learn. I better move on or I won't get done. Show gratitude. Say thank you. You, you want to honor your mother and father? You want it to be well with you? You want to have the promise coming your way? Then honor your mother and father. Show gratitude for them. Let them know that you appreciate what they did. Say thank you and mean it. Remember with them and for them special days. They like to have their birthdays remembered. They like to have Mother Days remembered. They like to have the things that you do remembered. So please spend your time with that. Express esteem and admiration for them. They're your parents. Express esteem and admiration for them. You, you may think that you right now know more than they know. I promise you, you'll change your mind sooner or later. You'll realize you really don't. And then I'm going to ask you to do this. Pray for them and cry out to God for them. Pray for them, cry out to God for them. It is not easy being a parent. All kinds of worlds that you live in and all kinds of choices you have to make. Let's, let's talk now about the beauty of motherhood for the ages of the earth. Genders are only for this age. Now, look, when, when God created in Genesis chapter 1, he's created man and woman in his image. He's creating for a purpose that he has, that as a team, they're going to be fruitful and multiply, that as a team, they're going to have dominion over the earth, that as a team, they're going to subdue it. They're going to go from the Garden of Eden, and as they have children, they're going to go into the rest of the world. They're going to go into the wilderness that, that uh, Adam was created in, and they're going to extend the glory of God all around the earth. They're going to take the garden and move further and further out. That's what they're going to get to do. That's subduing the earth. That's making the earth look just like the temple, just like the, the garden of Eden where the, <coughs> the temple was. How do I know that's what's going on? Look, kids, <coughs> when I get back over to this one over here, what is that world like? The whole earth is filled with his glory. All of it, all of it, it's like the Garden of Eden. It's producing like it was supposed to produce. It's doing what it was supposed to do. That's what we were in being engaged in, all right? Let me go a step further with you. There are only two genders. I hope you agree with me on that. <coughs> Excuse me. There are only two genders, and in their complement, they are to be married to one another for the purpose of this age so they can be fruitful and multiply. That's what he made it for. Now, look, I don't know all the science behind everything there is to know this, but I know enough to know this. In order for people to be fruitful and multiply, that requires male and female. It always requires that. Male and male can't do that. Female and female cannot do that. And the command was be fruitful and multiply. And God said regarding the any other relationship, do not do it. I don't have to know the science behind it. I don't have to know anything else. Are you either going to believe God or not believe God? And God said, don't do it. That's sufficient for me. Whether there's another explanation for it or not, I don't know. And I don't need it. That's what my father who created all things, who is a good God, who knows all things, who knows what works and knows what doesn't, that's what he said. Letter B, in the new earth, the kingdom among the restored, there will be no need for marriage or procreation. Now, here's what I mean. Jesus already told the, the um, 
Sadducees, I think, who were asking this question. He told them that when people die, when a husband dies, they're not given in marriage anymore. Marriage is for this age of time. But when we come out to this new age, when it comes into the restoration of all things, there is not marriage that goes on with procreation to follow. We're not going to repopulate anything, if you follow what I'm saying. Now, there's another group on earth that is going to be populating, and that's Israel. They have some things they're going to do there. But you're a restored person. You're not going to be doing that again. That's for this age only. All right. Let me go on further with you. There is no eternal pregnancy. Motherhood is for the present age. You say, who would ever believe that? There are certain organizations today, certain religious groups today, who believe just exactly that, that the purpose of uh, uh, the male is to become godlike so he can have his own planet and with his own planet can repopulate it again with all the multiple wives he's had here. All right? There isn't that going on. Motherhood reflects the intimate, compassionate, life-sustaining nurture of God. This glorifies God. I appreciate so very much the, the very nature and character of God. When you consider that God is making male and female in his own image, and some have said, you know, I, I see that he made man in his image, but how did he make woman in his image? That's not the same thing. I don't see how you could see anything else. Nurture and compassion and that, that very uh, intimate relationship that God has is demonstrated, reflected most in that mother. Just, just watching Shar as she took care of each of the children when they were born, the, the look that the kids had to her and she had to them when she was holding her arm and feeding them and nursing them. Oh, I, do, I don't know. I, men, I know we can have that. But certainly, if we're going to have it, we're going to learn it from them. You understand what I'm saying? What a beautiful, intimate, compassionate, life-sustaining nurture is going on with them, and that glorifies God. However, let's get this. Sin is the perversion of love and trust. Sin is the perversion of love and trust. I'm going to remind you that back here at the garden when the temptation took place, what's going on there, God had made trust the operating principle of the universe. Trust. Everything operates off trust. If you're going to be saved, it's going to be saved because you have trusted God. If Abraham's going to be a righteous man and be called righteous, be the friend of God, it's because he trusted God, not because of something that he did. Everybody follow on that? So he made trust that single most important relationship in the whole world. And when Adam and Eve are facing the, the temptation they're facing, it, they're facing it over about trusting God or something else. It wasn't about a fruit per se. The fruit is just going to be the outcome of the breach of trust and love. When he's tempting them, he's saying to them, God lied to you. That's not what's going to happen to you. God lied to you. They had a choice at that moment. Did God lie or did he tell the truth? If they believe that he lies, they're going to break trust with him. There was the sin. The minute they believed that God had lied, there was the sin. They broke trust. That's where the relationship fell apart. Now, after the trust was broken, they're going to go ahead and do what they plan to do. 
but it was the breaking of the trust first. That's why the restoration of the trust in Jesus Christ is what saves your soul. Everybody with me? When that trust was broken, it perverts everything. Let me see if I can show you what I mean. With sin, the perversion of love and trust, it altered motherhood. We, we need Christ to restore us. Number one, there became a resentment of the role with its blood, its pain, and its fruit. I don't think it's, I don't, the, the, the statement comes across, I don't think it's right we have to go through all this. I ought to have the right over my body. I ought to have the right over this. I ought to have the right over that. There's a resentment of what takes place with uh, the blood and the pain and the fruit. Number two, that resentment leads us to an attempt to thwart it or destroy it. Now, there's a word I bet you don't get to use every day, thwart. Sometimes I go through and I just try to pronounce English words, and I think, whoever does that? What kind of a word is that? Thwart. It's not even natural. Okay, thwart. That means I'm going to stop it. I don't want it to happen. I, I, this, this thing I don't, I don't like, I resent, I don't want it to happen, so I'm going to do everything I can to stop it from happening. I don't want to be a mother. I want to stop that from happening, okay, or destroy it. I don't want to be a mother, and I want to go to Planned Parenthood and do whatever I need to do to get rid of that which is my motherhood. I don't want that. Sin is a perversion that broke trust. And that's what leads us into the wrong decisions that are being made. So I make those attempts. Or there are times that because I don't like having children, I'll abuse my offspring. Abusing offspring. That one is, well, I'll just, I won't say more about that. It's to abuse our offspring. It's a horrible blight on our country. Then the abuse of sex. So I will just change the whole sexual thing from procreation to recreation. I'll just, I'll just change what it's about. I'll just change it's supposed to have a fun time. Now, I know that there are side products to that. There's a possibility I could get pregnant. There's a possibility I could have a child. Back to number two. Just thwart it or destroy it. Because of sin's perversion of love and trust, there's abuse of parents and the tragic outcome from that. Well, we read some great things today, didn't we? In the scriptures we had, we read this, a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. Do you suppose there's a good outcome from that? Do you suppose you can go around despising your mother, dishonoring your mother, and there'd be a good outcome in your life from that? Do you understand what that sets up in your life? Listen, we, we have a phenomenal memory. We have a phenomenal way of listening to things and, and holding on to things. So that when I start with something resentment, something that's resentful, I set up a whole pattern in my brain of electrical waves that make me remember that. So that every time I see my mother, I remember that. Every time I think about my mother, I remember that. And if I've been to that point where I'm despising my mother or having shame for my mother or shaming her or grieving her in some way or another, those things just keep firing. And when apart from Christ, you will not stop that. Everybody see where I'm at? Apart from Christ, you will not stop that. He who mistreats his father and chases away his mother is a son that causes shame and brings reproach. Do you suppose any of that's affecting our culture today? 
Whoever curses his father's mother, his lamp will be put out in deep darkness. The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. I contend that many of the problems that we have within our culture today, and especially within the church, come from the resentment of parents, not honoring mom and dad. Number six, destruction, I'm sorry, distraction of our desires leads to neglect of our children's godly training, surrendering to others with opposing agendas. If we set as a husband and wife that our goal in life is to get this, have this, these kinds of tools, these kinds of play toys, these kinds of things, I am willing to let somebody else take over the responsibility for godly training instead of me. I'll send them to a school. I'll send them to some other place where they'll be trained by somebody else, and I'm going to expect them by, by reason of my pay that they're going to do a better job than I did. May I say this? You are the number one to them. You are the first one who's going to train them. They're going to walk in your path. They have you in them, and they're going to walk in your path, and your responsibility was to give them godly training. You can't pass that off to someone else. That's yours. Then number seven, deifying motherhood to the status of goddess. You know, I think I can understand why it was that people called this planet Mother Earth. I think I can understand what it was. Because that this, this earth is what sustains us. This earth is, if, if you don't, if you think that everything comes out of a grocery store, you probably won't understand the thing I'm about to tell you. The stuff that's in a grocery store, ready for this, grows on land someplace. And there's somebody actually working it. You know, the steak that you eat or the hamburger that you eat, that actually was a living thing. And though you didn't get to see it when they bled the thing out, though you didn't get to see it when they hacked the thing up, and you just went in and said, that looks like a pound of hamburger. I'm going to take that. If you didn't get to see it, then you're woefully lacking. You need to see it. You need to see it happen. Are you following where I'm at? I can see why, if you lived off the earth, why after a while you'd think of the, the earth as your mother. You're getting all your food from it. You're getting all your water from it. Everything that's going on around you, you're getting from it. I see why they said it. But can I say it's a perversion to go ahead and deify it? You can't make her into a goddess. All right. Last point. Restored motherhood brings us all into the status of widening our love to include those that may not belong directly to us. I can see many ways why the, the church would be like a mother. We were supposed to be those who brought in all kinds of people to become a part of our family. That, that intimate, compassionate, life-sustaining was supposed to be what we do as a church, bringing people into it all the time. We have been freed to love. Jesus Christ is what has restored us to truth, and we're now free to love all kinds of people. Today, I don't know what, what your particular status is, but if you have not trusted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, may I, act, may I urge you today, today is the day to trust Jesus Christ. Christ has died, in fact, for you, to restore you to the hum humanity you're supposed to be in. You'll perish in your sins without it, friend. I'm sorry, there's not another way to say that. 
Without Christ, you will perish and be lost forever. But with Christ, there's everlasting life, forgiveness, acceptance. He draws you in. Christ died for you. Christ first lived for you, died for you, and was raised again on the third day for you. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the love of God that's in Christ. Thank you for the joy we get to have of knowing Jesus Christ. Thank you for motherhood. Thank you for restoring us to a right relationship to you that things might be restored among generations that have lost sight of where they are. Thank you for what you're going to do in each one of us now. We ask your blessing to rest upon this time. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.